Exodus 38. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. It was square, its length was five cubits, its width was five cubits, and its height was three cubits. He made its horns on its four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. He made all the vessels of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks and the firepans. He made all its vessels of bronze. He made for the altar a grating of a network of bronze under the ledge around it, beneath reaching halfway up. He cast four rings for the four corners of bronze grating to be places for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. He put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to carry it. He made it hollow with planks. He made the basin of bronze and its base of bronze out of the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered at the door of the tent of meeting. He made the court for the south side southward. The hangings of the court were of fine twined linen, 100 cubits. Their pillars were 20 and their sockets 20 of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. For the north side, 100 cubits, their pillars 20 and their sockets 20 of bronze, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. For the west side were hangings of 50 cubits, their pillars 10 and their sockets 10, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. For the east side eastward, 50 cubits, the hangings for the one side were 15 cubits, their pillars 3 and their sockets 3. And so for the other side. On this hand and that hand by the gate of the court were hangings of 15 cubits, their pillars 3 and their sockets 3. All the hangings around the court were of fine twined linen. The sockets for the pillars were of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. Their capitals were overlaid with silver. All the pillars of the court had silver bands. The screen for the gate of the court was the work of the embroiderer of blue, purple, scarlet and fine twined linen. 20 cubits was the length and the height along the width was 5 cubits, like the hangings of the court. Their pillars were 4 and their sockets 4 of bronze, their hooks of silver and the overlaying of their capitals and their fillets of silver. All the pins of the tabernacle and around the court were of bronze. These are the amounts of materials used for the tabernacle, even the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. Bezalel the son of Uri the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah made all that Yahweh commanded Moses. With him was Aholiab the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and a skillful workman, and an embroiderer in blue, in purple, in scarlet, and in fine linen. All the gold that was used in the work, in all the work of the sanctuary, even the gold of the offering was 29 talents, and 730 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver of those who were counted of the congregation was 100 talents, and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A beaker a head, that is half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone who passed over 
to those who were counted from 20 years old and upward, for 603,550 men. The 100 talents of silver were for casting the sockets of the sanctuary and the sockets of the veil, 100 sockets for the 100 talents, one talent per socket. From the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals, and made fillets for them. The bronze of the offering was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With this, he made the sockets of the door to the tent of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, all the vessels of the altar, the sockets around the court, the sockets of the gate of the court, all the pins of the tabernacle, and all the pins around the court. That was Exodus 38. So here again, we're repeating material. This material from Exodus 38 was found, part of it in Exodus 27 and part of it in Exodus 30. Here it's repeated in a completed tense, whereas before it was in the future tense. Before God was telling Moses, you know, tell the people this is what to do, and but now it's done. And then at the end, they count up how much gold and silver was actually being used or had been used to build this. And we we don't really know, you know, shekels and talents and, and beakers and all, all these weights don't mean much to us. We're used to, you know, kilograms and tons and things like that. But the, the sense you get you get from this is that this was a lot of material. In the last chapter, we read that people who were willing-hearted brought materials, but Moses had to say no more because they had too much. So this was the amount that was used, but this was not the amount that was contributed. People gave a lot more, but they had to stop receiving gifts. And so what we see here is that together, the children of Israel built something for God, and they, they put a lot into it. It was expensive. It was a fair contribution. Now, these children of Israel are very different people to the ones even a month earlier, uh, well, maybe it was more like two months earlier, with the golden calf. <laughs> I think the, my, my recollection is that it took six months to build the tabernacle. So maybe it was more like seven to eight months earlier. But these people are different people. First of all, um, they, you know, some of those people that were the troublemakers back then in the golden calf incident, they're dead. They've been dealt with and removed. But also the other ones have changed. They've come to see who their God is and they're different. They've chosen God. So Moses had come down from the mountain the second time and this time he's actually been able to explain what God said and now these people have heard it. They've been through that whole experience and they've learned a little of their God and they've chosen for themselves. And um, God, this is the nature of God. He gives us a choice. Now I know that in the in the modern Christian world that we live in, since um, our brother Calvin, a couple of hundred, about four to five hundred years ago, he uh, he he was so strongly adamant that God was sovereign that a lot of Christians concluded that we don't have a choice. They think that because God is so completely in control of everything, that uh, it means we are not in control at all and we don't really have a choice. And they think that everything we do is really God deciding it for us. That's not true. Both of these things are true at the same time. God is completely sovereign, and we have a choice. 
And the reason we have a choice is God has sovereignly chosen to give us a choice. You can see how that can be true at the same time. And so um, God has created for us an area with which he allows us the freedom to choose. Now, he is completely sovereign in that he gives us that, and he can rescind it at any moment. And God's also so wise that he knows that whatever we choose, he works with it because he knows in advance what we're going to do. He's incredible like that. And so God gives us the choice. And uh, it's, it's not, you know, it's not one or the other, like Christians are always arguing, is God sovereign or do people have choice? No, it's both. God is sovereign and we do have a choice. It's both true. And um, here we've got this example of the children of Israel choosing. They choose to do what God says. They choose to follow him. And God doesn't control us. He gives us that option. And that's what makes our relationship with him so wonderful. Adam and Eve were the first ones to be given a choice. And um, they, they chose the wrong thing. But I tell you what, if you put Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden now, what would they choose? They'd choose the other because they've learned. They've learned their lesson. And the day will come when we're in heaven and we'll still have a choice, but we're going to choose the Lord. There's not going to be a drop of sin in heaven because we all know we want the Lord. And so that's the nature of it. True love, true relationship, it's always the thing you choose. You know, what type of a marriage is it if you are both just forced to be in it and it wasn't something you chose? No, you choose to love your wife. Your wife chooses to love you. And that's what makes it wonderful, is the choice. And so God gives us this choice and he tells us to love him with all our heart and we do because we want to. And so the Israelites here, what we're seeing worked out through all these chapters, the, re the repeated chapters, is that they've chosen God. They've decided to follow him. They've decided to do the things he said and it's really, really wonderful. It doesn't mean they're not going to have problems in the future. They're going to have problems. But the choices, what we're talking about is the choice. And so what about you? Are you going to choose? Are you Are going to choose to follow God? Are you Are going to choose to obey? Will you be led of the Holy Spirit? I hope so. Lord, I ask that your grace would be upon everyone today who's listening. Your grace be upon myself. Lord, we want to be people who follow you, who choose for you. We know that you're in control, Lord. We know that you can direct us. We know you can give us light, you can inform us, and we pray for that. We pray, Lord, that you would intervene in our lives. That's something we want. We want your, your help. We want your guidance. We want your power at work within us. So, Lord, give us these things. We want to be close to you. We want to be your people. We want to follow you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.